Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philemon, this small letter. Uh, if you need a copy of God's Word, Larry has a few in his hands, and he'd gladly have, hand you one this morning. This is a short letter. This is our third week in this letter. I'm going to read the letter in its entirety, as we've done in previous weeks. We took a week away from it, but I'm delighted to be back with you this morning. God has been gracious to me recently. Uh, he's shown me a lot of grace. I've delighted in this space. I've delighted in the proclamation of God's word. I've delighted in my children. It's been a really rich time for me in my own heart. And I pray that this word this morning that comes to us uh, through the Apostle Paul as he writes to Philemon will refresh us together as the body of Christ. So let me read this together. Let me read this for us. You can look down in your Bible. 25 verses here, short letter, one page. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough to, in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now indeed he is useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on behalf, on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this was perhaps why he was parted you for, for, from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother." especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and the, in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even of your own self. Yes, brothers, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So in our time in Philemon, we've explored the story that kind of surrounds this, this text, right? These 25 verses that Paul writes to Philemon, to his, what he calls his beloved brother Philemon. Um, and there's this story that kind of goes along with this. Philemon now is a, he's a wealthy, uh, wealthy Christian who lives in Colossae. 
And he hosts the church in Colossae in his home. Probably a group like this size in his home. A big enough home to to host this many people. Uh, He would have had bond servants, as the text says, or maybe slaves or servants in his home. A handful of people who would owe their their life to them. They would not have the ability to, to go out and do the things that they desired, but would be subject to their master Philemon. Now, because Philemon is a Christian, uh, we would think and we know that he was kind to his, his servants, to his bondservants. And we see that is the case as Paul uh, commends him for his, for his love. So Onesimus is one of these servants, one of these bondservants in his home. And Onesimus clearly isn't pleased with his situation because what winds up happening is he winds up running away. He winds up leaving the home of Philemon, and he winds up running 1,200 miles away to Rome. Now, before Philemon was in Colossae, Philemon was in Ephesus, and Philemon heard the gospel preached by the Apostle Paul in Ephesus. Paul spent three years there, probably from about 55 to 58 AD, somewhere in that range. And this letter would have been written in 62 AD, so there's a little bit of time that's passed. Philemon has now moved to Colossae to serve the church there. Uh, Paul has gone to Rome and has been imprisoned in Rome. And Onesimus, Philemon's servant, bond servant, has made his way to Rome as a runaway slave 1,200 miles away. Now, the reality of this story is that something happens. Something happens and Onesimus runs into the Apostle Paul. We're calling this a peculiar providence. This is a strange provision that God makes. Uh, the Rome would have been a densely populated city and with a lot of different people there who had a lot of different things going on and they were running around. A slave, if he was if he were a bondservant and a slave, if he, was, if he uh, ran away, he would go to Rome so that he wouldn't be identified because it would be easy to remain anonymous in such a densely populated area. But God had different plans for Onesimus. And somehow, in Paul's imprisonment in Rome, his life intersects with uh, Onesimus and Paul's lives intersect. Paul, as you would imagine, shares the gospel with him because Paul is about nothing but the gospel. He preaches it to him clearly and Onesimus believes. And the reality is then that Onesimus comes to this understanding that he must return then to his master Philemon because he owes him. He needs to submit to the authorities that are above him. He realizes this as part of an essential gospel outworking in his life. And so he decides then to, after probably many conversations with the Apostle Paul, realizes that he must go back to Colossae and to Philemon. So Onesimus travels with a man named Tychicus. They go by ship and by land, and 1,200 miles later arrives at the door of Philemon um, and hands him this letter that Paul pens, this personal recommendation that he gives to him. And in verse 16, we see the, sort of the climax of this event, that, that Philemon would receive Onesimus back no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother. And so there's this interesting dynamic then that unfolds. We know about complexity in relationship, right? This, this interesting dynamic now unfolds between Philemon the master, Onesimus the bondservant. And when we have this, this societal hierarchy that's set up between master and bondservant, 
all of the sudden that drifts into the background and we have brother and brother in relationship to one another in Christ. Now Paul is very clear, Paul is very clear in Ephesians 6, a letter that Onesimus probably delivered with Tychicus on his way to Philemon. He's very clear that masters and slaves and bondservants are are seen together as the same in God's eyes. They both have their heavenly father as their, their God, their king. They both have him as the one who is their master. And so Paul says in Ephesians 6, 4 that there is no, or Ephesians 6, 9, that there is no partiality with God between these, this societal hierarchy. So we have this dynamic that exists now between these two men, a societal hierarchy that must be respected. Onesimus realizes this, and this is why he returns to Philemon. The societal hierarchy that must be respected, but an understanding that in, with, in Christ there is no partiality, and that those two together in God's economy are, are the same. This is only possible through the gospel. This is only possible through the gospel. The gospel, we've said this before, the gospel sends forth or, or makes this claim to universality. That the gospel is for all peoples at all times. There is no one on the face of this earth whose heart is beating, whose, whose mind is open, who cannot receive the truth of the gospel. There is no one who is so far gone that the shed blood of Jesus cannot take care of even the most heinous of sins. And so the gospel is universal. It goes out to all peoples at all times. It makes itself known. It it declares that Jesus Christ is king and invites every single person who has the benefit of hearing it into the family of God. And so this is what happens with Onesimus and, and Philemon. And so when there is universality, then there means there is no partiality. Societal, economic, racial positioning, none of this matters in God's economy. The gospel goes forth to every single individual. The gospel is for everyone. And Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus in a prison cell in Rome, and Onesimus believes. And so brother, brother becomes the dynamic with Onesimus and Philemon, and the dynamic between Philemon and Onesimus becomes one that is ultimately held under the understanding that they were brothers first. Believing bondservant, believing master, God shows no partiality, each is God's child. Again, societal economic positioning of no, no, no concern here which is why Paul can appeal to Philemon in the way that he does in verse 16 when he says to receive him back no longer as a bondservant but as a beloved brother. Makes total sense in light of God's economy. And so we want to continue exploring the dynamics here between these two men and with the, with the Apostle Paul speaking to Philemon directly through this letter. So in our time this morning, we're going to hinge, hinge on one word, a word that's not even found in the text, but a, a, a word that drives Onesimus to do what he does and to run away, to run away as a, a, a bondservant and make his way to Rome. He wants to get out from underneath the, the, the roof of Philemon. The word then that we're going to hinge our time on is freedom. Freedom. So I'm going to make a statement here that guides our time, that's biblically informed. 
And we're going to apply that to this text and see how this, how this applies also to our lives. So this is the, the statement. Freedom isn't doing what we want. You'll see this on the screen behind me. Freedom isn't doing what we want, but the ability and desire to do what we were created for. Freedom, I'm going to say it again, freedom isn't the ability to do what we want, but the desire and the ability to do what we were created for. Now, this is a hard pill to swallow because the reality is the word freedom, we use that in a totally different way in our society. We use it as, as a way to demonstrate that we can do what we want whenever we want to do it. But that is not the biblical portrait of freedom, and Onesimus would understand that, which is why Onesimus would make his way back and submit himself to the authority of Philemon under his roof, knowing now that he could do and accomplish what he was created for in perfect freedom uh, and still find himself within a, a societal hierarchy. So, Again, you won't find this word in this letter, but you'll notice Onesimus' perceive of lack of freedom has put him in the situation. Again, in his mind, he's not able to do what he wants before he runs away. When he runs away, he's like, okay, now I can do what I want. But the reality is he finds himself lacking. And that's what leads us to our first point this morning. We're just going to take that statement, freedom isn't doing what we want, but the ability and desire to do what we were created for and take that as two different sections there, and then ask ourselves, so what? So, first of all, freedom isn't doing what we want. Um, again, our culture talks about freedom a lot. And sort of at the top of that list, right, when you have the ability to do what you want whenever you want to do it, and if that's what we're striving for and attaining to, then we can say that right at the top of that list is our vision of the good life. What does the good life look like? Boy, whoa, that was crazy. Someone was talking. Okay, maybe it's in my head. Did anyone else hear that? Okay, all right. Um, the reality is the good life, the vision of the good life is what we aspire to or desire to attain. And so we seek freedom to do what we want whenever we want to do it. And so we ask ourselves the question, much like Onesimus asked himself the question when he was under the roof of Philemon for the first time. We ask ourselves the question, what is our vision of the good life? And, and you, guys know, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, it's that place where you have peace. It's that place where you have comfort. It's that place where you have the things that you desire, where you don't have to do the things that you don't want to do. You have a house that you want to live in. You have the people that make you happy around you. And so we construct this picture in our mind. And this has changed over the years for me. Like, this changes, like, minute by minute, almost, for most of us. Like, what is my vision of the good life? Like, what if I had all of these things? Would I be happy? Would I have peace? Would I not have any worries? And so, in essence, freedom, then, is the ability to uh, remove all obstacles that prevent us from achieving our vision of the good life, or that's what we think freedom is. And for Onesimus, it was getting out from underneath the roof of Philemon. He eliminated the obstacle, and he ran away. And maybe for us, it's, it's growing that bank account. Maybe think we'll have the freedom to get the good life when money is no longer an object for us. 
Or maybe he's getting an education. No one becomes a doctor or a lawyer or architect without an education. And no one, and if your vision of the good life includes one of those things, then you have to get an education. Or maybe it's health and wellness. Maybe it's retirement. We have all of these things that we kind of construct and build up and say, if I just had the freedom, if I just was able to do what I want when I want to do it, then I can pursue my vision of the good life. I can obtain that thing. And if I remove the obstacles in my way, then I'll get there. But Onesimus quickly found out, and the admonition here for us is the same, Onesimus quickly found out that removing that obstacle wasn't doing what he thought it was doing. He quickly found out that freedom wasn't what he thought it was. And the path to that understanding came through some pretty tough stuff. I do, can you imagine, can you put yourself in Onesimus' shoes? Making a 12, do you think every single step Every single wave that the ship hit as, they, as he was on his way back to get back to his... I can, I can imagine that that was just emotional torture. Like, how am I going to be received? How is my former master... I know that he's a believer. I know that the Apostle Paul thinks very highly of him. But how am I going to be received? As one who had a false sense of what freedom is, and now I'm clearly understanding what freedom is, how am I going to be received back? He knew what he hoped for, but he wasn't, he wasn't sure. And now he understands what freedom truly is, but he understands that it comes through some pretty tough stuff. The text that we saw on the screen, I read a different text this morning, but the text that I was going to read comes from the book of Galatians, and it comes from Galatians 5 in particular. You know, as we get to the end of Galatians 5, we have that popular fruit of the Spirit passage. But what leads up to that is an instruction or a command from Paul to walk by the Spirit. And so he gives his, he gives his readers this, this instruction to walk by the Spirit. But if you know the book of Galatians... If you understand the book of Galatians, you understand that the Galatians are, are pretty messed up. Like, they're doing some pretty crazy stuff. I would encourage you to go home and read the book of Galatians, six chapters long, maybe take one a day, maybe sit down and read it all in one shot. It's an incredibly important book for us, and I'm, we're going to unpack that a little bit. We get to Galatians, things are not going well. They're not doing well. Things are going very poorly. And Paul gives them, usually at the beginning of a book, of a letter of Paul, he says, he says, he gives a standard greeting that he even gives to Philemon here, and then he says, I thank God for you every time that I pray for you, or something along those lines. And he gives like a nice little 10 to 15 verses of why he's grateful for that expression in the local church. In Galatians, he doesn't do that. He just starts firing away. In, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, he tells the Galatians, he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? which is really kind language. Like our translators have really done us a nice service there because what he means is, you idiots. What are you thinking? What is going on? Who has bewitched you? Who has led you astray? And then when we get to chapter five, earlier before that text that we were going to read this morning, he tells them one thing that's very important. It's our understanding of Onesimus and Philemon. He tells them in verse 1, he says, Do not again, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But he's not talking about physical slavery there. 
He's not talking about physically, physical slavery. What he, slavery. What he means is, don't give yourself to another thing. Don't give yourself to... You have what he's going to say here. Paul is all about the gospel, like we said. Paul is all about the gospel. And the most important thing for the Apostle Paul, the most important thing in the book of Galatians, although it's a lot about freedom, is the gospel and the freedom that comes through it. So the Apostle Paul says to his readers in 5.1, to these Galatian readers, says, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't give yourself to another thing. You have all you need in Jesus. And now I can say to a high level of certainty, the one thing that he was telling them not to submit to is not something that you are probably in jeopardy of submitting to circumcision. That's a joke. <laughs> but there are a lot of things that we submit to that Paul would write to us about and say, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Wear these clothes. Don't wear these clothes. Buy these clothes. Eat this food. Don't eat this food. Send your kids to this school. Homeschool your kids. You know what's going on in the schools. Can't trust them. Live in this neighborhood. Go to this event. Don't go to this event. Read this book. Don't read that book. And right at the top of that list, right at the top of that list is do what you want. Do what you want. Be free. And we submit again to these yokes like the Galatians do because we make them as important to us as the gospel. As the truth that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, humbly came to earth, lived a perfect life of obedience to his Father, died the death that we deserved for our sins, was raised on the third day, defeated the final enemy that is death, so that if we trust him, if we repent, we can experience everlasting joy in his presence for all of eternity. Billion, trillion years, drop in the bucket. So we submit again these yokes because we make them as important as the gospel. The message that says, go get your good life interferes with the message that Jesus is all we need. Our Christianity so easily can become Jesus plus something. Jesus plus our good life. So we have these add-on items. Okay, so who shops on Amazon? Everybody, right? Everybody shops on Amazon. So I was like, I want to. I was like, I need to buy some kind of thing, car, van cleaner. Our van's a mess because you know it's a mess here, and like, so I was like, I need to buy this cleaning product. So I went online and there was a two pack, and I said, oh, that's great. It was like eleven dollars, and then I was like, you know what? Um, I wonder if I can find this cheaper. So I started scrolling a little bit. Oh, Amazon has add-on items. If I spend twenty-five dollars, I get it for six dollars instead of eleven. And so of course, what did I do? I spent twenty-five dollars in order to. So like, oh yeah, I wanted this book, and yeah, okay. So I got the things that I wanted, so I only spent $6, and of course I was, you know, that, that's a trap, and I, I know it, but I did it anyways, because whatever. But the reality is, when we're looking at the gospel, we can't keep scrolling and find add-on items. It is what it is, 100%. And here's how I think I can say it most clearly to you this morning. Here's how I think I can say it most clearly for, for you this morning. This is bad math. It's bad math. If you're a mathematician, I'm sorry. 
This is the Bible. This is God's math, not my math. With Christ, you have everything. With Christ plus something, you have nothing. With Christ, you have everything. With Christ plus something, you have nothing. If you try to add to Christ, you will always wind up with zero. If it's Christ alone, the sum is infinite. And Onesimus, we know, he probably heard, the, the church was hosted in his home, in, in Philemon's home. And Onesimus probably cleaned up after them. After the Lord's Supper, they had some unleavened bread and, and the wine. They, they, they would drink together. They would celebrate the Lord's Supper together and, you know, some kid would run and spill the wine. And Onesimus would have to go and he would have to clean it up and he would be frustrated about it. I'm frustrated. I want to get out of here. I want to be free. And the reality is, he thought that he could obtain that freedom. He probably heard the gospel in that setting. It's like, why are these people drinking this wine and eating this bread? This is silly. And then someone probably said to him, you know what? Because Jesus died for us. He was like, he shed his blood and he, his body was perfect and it was broken for us. And we would do this in remembrance of him, proclaiming his death until he returns. And they probably shared the gospel with him and he's like, yeah, whatever. Right? Like many of us have that part of our story, right? We hear the gospel. We're like, yeah, whatever. Until God opens our eyes to it, until we have spiritual ears, or spiritual ears to hear, and God forms those in us, and we receive the gospel, it falls on ground, and it takes root, and begins to grow in our hearts. We understand who Jesus Christ is. He's the Son of the living God, and we, we begin to love Him. We begin to desire Him. We begin to desire to know Him. And so, Onesimus probably heard the gospel, and when the Apostle Paul shared it with him, it probably was the only the Apostle Paul could, Onesimus' ears were opened. And Onesimus believed before that, though Onesimus believed the same lie repackaged as we did, the same lie as the Galatians believed. Those people who demanded circumcision in Galatia said, freedom is available to you if you are circumcised. Paul says, freedom is only available to you if you are in Christ. Onesimus believed that same lie repackaged. He thought, freedom is available to me if I get out from underneath this physical slavery. So friends, Freedom isn't doing what we want. Freedom is rather than doing what, or the ability to do and the desire to do what we were created for. The ability and desire to do what we were created for is what freedom is from a biblical perspective. And when Onesimus believes the gospel, he begins to understand this, right? He was created to bring God glory, and he didn't need to be in anything other than Christ Jesus in order to do that. He couldn't bring glory to God in Philemon. He could, he could bring glory to God in Philemon's home. And when you trust Jesus, when we as a people, church, when we trust Jesus, our vision of the good life begins to take a back seat. Because we don't make the, the good life our primary aim. Anyone who tells you that you can have your best life now just wants to sell you something. Because for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we can do nothing without Jesus Christ. And we can, without any doubt, say that our best life doesn't come now. It cannot come now. It comes later. And I'm convinced that's not why Onesimus went back. Maybe it took him a long time to figure that out. I don't know. Maybe a year. Maybe two years. I don't know. Lots of long conversations with the Apostle Paul. Maybe Timothy. 
Lots of these conversations in this prison cell. But he realized that he was now free uh, to submit to earthly authority above him. That was Philemon. And knowing that Philemon, although his master was now, even more than his master, he was his beloved brother. Because there is no partiality with God. And both would spend eternity in the presence of God out from underneath sin. And so the question to us comes from this text, do we know what we are created for? If we have the desire and the ability to do what we were created for, do we know what we were created for? We were created for, uh, to glorify God by having relationship with him and finding satisfaction in him and joy in him and him alone. And you can do that. You can do that if you have your dream job or you don't. You can do that if you have your dream job or you don't, or your dream home or you don't. You can do that if you're living the good life or you're not. Because all of those things, again, will fade into the background. Fade in your mind's eye when you're seeking to know your Creator. And your desire to glorify Him will grow because you will progressively sense that you are living into your God-given purpose. So the gospel is what brings about freedom. The gospel is what brings about freedom, but not in the way that we always think. My wife mentioned this. If you were at the parenting uh, workshop yesterday, my wife mentioned this, which is incredibly helpful. You know how when someone screws up and then they say, well, I'm only human, right? Like, I guess, you know, just don't count it against me because we're only human. That, that's wrong. <laughs> they say that. That, that. That's not a correct perspective of humanity. Humans were created for relationship with God. We were created to have a relationship with God. Genesis 1 and 2. We were created for a relationship with God, but because of sin, that relationship is broken. And that humanity that relies on it, our humanity relies on a relationship to God. And when that relationship is broken, we have to have this relationship as our definition for humanity. When a relationship is broken by sin, that definition is messed up. And so when Jesus comes into the picture... When Jesus come, humbly comes to earth and lives a life of perfect obedience here on earth, when he does that now for the first time ever in history, do we have someone who lived on this earth perfectly human? He did it in a way that God outlined for us. Perfect obedience, perfect relationship with his heavenly father. And so when he died to deal with our sin, and when we trust him, we are now free from sin and free to be human. Our humanity is restored in Christ because we now get to live the definition of humanity, to have relationship with our creator. And our humanity is being restored because now we get to live in obedience, because we have the ability to strength to. But again, this only comes through Christ. Christ alone, everything. Christ plus something, nothing. Our humanity and our freedom, these are intimately tied together. And neither are contingent on our physical circumstances, but rather our spiritual standing before God. And so Onesimus realized that by running away, he was submitting to a yoke of slavery. <laughs> by running away, by be becoming physically free, he was submitting to a yoke of slavery. He was free in the physical sense, but when he met the imprisoned Paul, surely he questioned his freedom. 
because Paul was undeterred by his physical circumstances, he was free to glorify God from a prison cell, a dingy prison cell in Rome. The proclamation of the uncompromised gospel flowed from Paul despite his physical circumstance. That's what he was created for. It's what Onesimus was created for. It's what you and I are created for. Relationship with our God. Pursuing him, knowing him through his word. So we ask the question, so what? So what, what's the big deal? We have to ask ourselves this question very specifically. Am I submitting to a yoke of slavery? And I think for most of us in this room, I think, for most of us in this room, that's, that's pursuing or seeking always to be removing obstacles to achieving our vision of the good life. I think that's what it mostly looks like. We've just bought into the idea that Jesus wants you to work hard and be kind. Or that Jesus wants us to be healthy and wealthy. But maybe for some of us, it comes in other forms. Maybe it's what it has to do with what we eat or where we send our kids to school or how we live, where we live. Maybe for some of us, even, even places like the color of our skin. We see how someone could be a Christian. We can't see how someone could be a Christian if they don't see it the way we see it. We don't raise our kids this way or think about political problems in that way. And if that's the case, we've submitted to a yoke of slavery. And Onesimus thought that by getting out from underneath the roof of Philemon, he would be free. But instead, he submitted himself again to this yoke of slavery. So we ask ourselves, what are we relying on other than Jesus for our freedom? What are we relying on other than Jesus for our freedom? And asking ourselves that question, you have to think about our whole, our church, family, and the impact that the gospel is having going on in our region. A week ago, a week ago Rebecca and I were in the Twin Cities for an Acts 29 assessment conference. We were being assessed to see if we us too, and Buffalo City Church family would fit into this network of churches that has the desire to plant churches in our region. Um, we had this informational meeting, if, <laughs> if you remember, a few months back. Um, and if you'd like to hear more about that, we'd love to share with you. But this is part of our vision as a church. We want to see the gospel go out into our community and into our region. We believe that the local church is the best way for that to happen. God actually instituted the local church to see that happen. And so to have churches planted in our region is, is incredibly important. We were a church plant two and a half years ago. We believe that God's strategy for the advancement of the gospel is the local church. So naturally we want to see churches planted. But the reality is regardless of what happens with Acts 29 or any of those things, if we, f we will fail to impact our community and region if we make ourselves about anything other than the gospel. If we make ourselves about anything other than the gospel, we will fail at literally everything we attempt to do as a church. We will put butts in seats, but we will not impact lives with the truth of the gospel. There's the only way for us to have any type of lasting impact in the world around us is to proclaim the gospel. So we must fight to keep the gospel first priority. Buffalo City Church, we must fight 
to keep the gospel first priority. Because without the gospel, we are dead in our transgressions and sins. We are enslaved to sin. We are not free to live in line with what our God created us for, and we can, can't have a relationship or know our God. So friends, the question is clear. Do you know the gospel? Do you understand it? Can you speak it clearly? Do you know what it doesn't include? This is a big question. Do you know what the gospel does not include? doesn't include your work. You don't earn it. You don't get it. It's by the grace of God that it comes to you. You can't work for it. There is nothing you can do to strong arm or coerce the creator of the universe into giving you grace. Do you know why the gospel is important? Do you know why it's important? Because apart from it, you can't live a life of obedience. You cannot please your God. You cannot glorify God. You cannot honor God. You will not spend eternity with God apart from the truth of the gospel impacting, taking root in your heart. And these are non-negotiables for us. These are non-negotiables. We must know the gospel inside and out, left and right. Friends, I'm appealing to you. You must know the gospel inside and out, left and right. Go home, stand in front of the mirror, recite it. I'm not kidding. You need to be able to articulate the gospel. Is the gospel our best thought? Make it our best thought. Think about it as we rise and as we go to sleep. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, humbly came to earth, lived a perfect life of obedience, died the death that we deserve for our sins, so that we might spend eternity with God our Father in His presence in everlasting joy. There are people across our city who are waking up this morning addicted to substances. There are college students up the hill who just went to bed after a night of partying. There are people across our city who are working overtime this morning, right now, so they can buy a boat or a new house or a new car. There are people across our city who don't know where their spouse was when they went back when they went to sleep last night and when they woke up this morning he wasn't there. There are people across our city who are just praying, just holding on to a thin sliver of hope that they will not get a phone call that their child has made another terrible life decision and is dead. What's the church's message to them? What's the church's message to them? It's not, stop doing drugs, stop drinking, stop loving money and material, be a better husband or wife, be a better parent. It's not take this political position. It's not eat this or wear this or fall into this income bracket. It's not send your kids to school here or figure out how to stop screwing up your life or can't believe you made those decisions or I... I'm glad I didn't make those decisions, or whatever. That cannot be our message. The church's message to them, Buffalo City Church, it must be this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than everything. But Jesus plus something is nothing. We have to guard against adding something to Jesus because as soon as that happens, we have, we have 
We have nothing to offer. We have nothing to offer. Nice music, right? The preaching is subpar. We've got some great stuff happening with our kids. <laughs> but the reality is, we, this is not what we can offer people. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Sin is our problem. Jesus is bigger than that. We don't want to gather a group of people together and have nothing to offer and then send out another group of people that also have nothing to offer. But if we add anything to what we do here other than Jesus, and if we add anything to our message other than Jesus, we will do just that because in Christ, we have everything. In Christ, we have everything. Hope, healing, we have happiness, freedom, life, grace, purpose, meaning, strength, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, reconciliation. We have restoration. We have identity. And on and on. But if we add anything to Christ, we have nothing. We can offer one thing as a church, only one thing, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is better than every, every other single pursuit in this world. So questions this morning, questions. What are the ways that you think you're free but are preventing you from being free? I would invite you to write this question down or somehow, I see some of you take pictures of the screen, do that now. Pictures of the screen, thank you, picture of the screen. This question, you need to ask yourself this question this morning. You can't forget it, I'm begging you. Also, this question, you can't answer it. You can't answer this question. So you must pray, Spirit of Christ, yeah, thank you. Pictures, more pictures. Spirit of Christ. <laughs> Spirit of Christ, reveal to me what I am submitting to. Reveal to me the ways that I think that I'm free, but I'm actually preventing me from being free. Is this a blind spot that we have? Is this a vision of the good life? You think that you're pursuing it in freedom, but it's building all kinds of barriers in your heart to glorifying God and enjoying Him. Having that brand of clothing, eating that food, voting for that politician, sending your kids to that school. Jesus is better than all of that. What are the ways that you, are, think, you're, or that you think you're free but are preventing you from being free? Second question. What are the things that you think you can get out from underneath, you'll be free? What are the things that... If you think you can get out, well, that's poorly worded. What are the things that if you get out from underneath, if you believe that you can get out from underneath, you'll be free? For Onesimus, again, it was the roof of Philemon. Very literal, get out from underneath. But there are things in our lives that we think that we can get out from underneath, we will be free. Our job, our marriage, we say things like, oh, the old ball and chain, right? But like our job or our marriage, if we could we be free if we don't. Our credit card debt, that one relationship, and the reality is, if you're in Christ, he has freed you from your sin. You don't need to be freed from anything else. Onesimus got out from underneath Philemon's roof, but he was not free until Paul showed him Jesus in the Roman prison cell. Last question this morning, most important question I'm going to ask you this morning. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Most important question I can ask you this morning. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? Or are you adding something? Think about your story. Where does your mind go first? Your baptism? Your upbringing? Your church attendance? Your good works? If your testimony hinges, 
If your testimony hinges on anything other than the fact that you are a sinner saved only by the grace of God through his love demonstrated to you in Jesus Christ, if your testimony hinges on anything other than that, friends, this is the, this is the most loving thing that I can say to you. I say with complete boldness, you are not a follower of Jesus. You are not a Christian. If your testimony hinges on anything other than Jesus Christ and his work on your behalf, you're not a Christian. You're trusting in something other than Jesus and him alone for your salvation. And in Christ, you have everything. But when you add something, you are nothing. You have nothing. And if that doesn't make sense to you, let's talk. Talk with someone that you came with. I'll be up here. Talk with someone that you saw up here. Talk with someone in your community group. If that doesn't make sense to you, let's have a conversation. If you're trusting anything other than Jesus, you are in bondage. You may feel free. Things might be going pretty well for you, actually, in this world. But the reality is, if you're trusting anything other than Jesus this morning, you are far from God. Friends, Jesus is better than your vision of the good life or anything that you try to add. He's much better than adding anything. He's so much better that adding anything means nothing. He wants your praise. He wants your allegiance. He wants all of you. He, wants, he loves you so much that he died to end your bondage to sin. He took it all on the cross. And he destroyed the final enemy. The ultimate result of sin is death. He destroyed it. We're no longer slaves to fear. We're God's children. We don't have to worry. Death can't take us. We live forever in the presence of God. It's gone. It's swallowed up in victory, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. And all of that is more and more. All of that and more is yours in Jesus. We sang in Christ alone. In Christ alone. All of that and more is yours in Jesus. Our hope is found only there, not in anything else we can add. Let's pray.